Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Down with D&D. My name is Sean Merwin, and today I am joined by a very special guest, the terrific, the talented, and the Twitter-friendly Teos Abadia, who you might know as Alpha Stream on the Internets. Thank you so much, Teos, for being here today. Hello. It's my pleasure to join the meritorious, mentoring, magnanimous Sean Merwin. Oh, boy. So everyone's in on this uh, little thing, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, we talk about you on the show frequently, but for anyone who might just be dropping by for the first time, Teos, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in the industry? Sure, and thank you guys for mentioning me. Uh, I, I love this podcast, so anytime I get to hear my name, it's this sort of like, Wow, they're saying nice things about me on this show that I love. Uh, well, it's not like, always nice, right? Well, no, it really kind of is. I, I think uh, I messed up and by mistake said nothing but nice things. Okay, well, I'll have to fix that today. Yeah, thank you. So uh, so what have you done in the industry? Uh, so uh, since a long time ago through organized play, I've been involved first as a volunteer and then eventually paid uh, to create a variety of neat adventures and other types of material for Wizards of the Coast, uh, for other companies as well, uh, probably culminating in the book that you and I worked on, the Acquisitions Incorporated hardback book. That was an amazing dream project. Uh, I've also been working with Dwarven Forge a lot. I just did some late development work that I turned in. Um, so they have adventures, these huge, big adventures around their terrain. And one of them is available now uh, free on their website, uh, Dungeons of Doom, Dungeon of Doom, and then uh, Caverns Deep, which was the Kickstarter after that, uh, is going to be out soon for people. Wow, so that's probably a lot of words written. It's a terrific amount of words, and, and they have their company that's just so incredibly creative, uh, so they want every encounter to have just, like, really neat off-the-wall ideas, which is fun creatively. Mm -hmm. And when you have that terrain to work with, it's probably cool to, to be able to draw inspiration from that. It's really cool, though. There are so many neat things in each, in each room that the biggest challenge, and it's been really cool for me as a writer, is to try to not spend a billion words and make it too complicated because there's just so much neat stuff in the room you want to talk about and have it do something when the players interact with it. Like every drop of blood or every little dent in the uh, yeah. in the floor, right? Yeah, totally. Cool. So today, uh, after our announcements, we're going to get to our main topic, which is organized play, something that you and I know at least a little bit about. Uh, talk about a little bit about Ashes of Athos okay. and what you did with that. Sure. So when 4E was humming along, there was uh, the main campaign – was the Living Forgotten Realms that you know well because you're a huge part of it. Um, Living Forgotten Realms was just like this core huge campaign and anybody who's doing organized play, this is what they played and what they saw. And unlike previous editions, there weren't multiple other campaigns out there. There was really just sort of this one way to do it. 
And at one point, Wizards and Bald Man Games said, you know, what if for the upcoming Dark Sun release, we do kind of an auxiliary campaign, a secondary campaign. And the cool thing was they gave a lot of freedom to create a campaign in the way that we wanted to do it. Uh, I ended up being part of the early design team, one of the first people in. And so we were able to, to play with the campaign, with the structure, uh, with the, the, the tone and the rules, all of it. So we did things like uh, sets of trilogies uh, that we would release three times a year, three mods, and each could be played on its own and that'd be fun. Or you could play the trilogy and that felt sort of like a book chapter. Or you could play the whole year and that was like you really read the whole novel. And then you could play the next year and have sort of the next novel. And it felt like that. And then we did a lot of innovative things for its time, like really saying no to all of the different character options that people had when they didn't fit the world of Dark Sun. Mm -hmm. So that gave it a really strong theme. And so it had a lot of acclaim for that. Okay. So, yeah, when we do talk about organized play, I think we're going to get into like a point and counterpoint about the different ways that you can create one to meet the different goals that you're that you're reaching for for yeah. your campaign. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that'll be, it'll be great to call on your, um, <laughs> on your expertise for that because I wrote, I think one adventure for it Yeah. and I played and I ran it a little bit, but I wasn't, you know, in the nitty gritty of the, the design like you were. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, it's one area of organized play where I don't know, uh, what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> well, there's probably more, but that's not possible. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on that. Um, but before we talk about our main topic, let's get into one, one, which is of three parts, announcement. It's been a while since we talked about new things on the DMs Guild, and three things came out recently that caught my eye, and I want to talk about them quickly here. Um, the first is from M.T. Black, Callum Shan Adventurer's Guide. This is a 67-page uh, product costing seven ninety-five. Uh, I took a look at it. Very nice art, very nice layout. Um, Callum Shan is a part of the Forgotten Realms, a land of intrigue, an empire of sands, and home to a million marvels and mysteries. So what this does is it gives you a guide for this area of the realms, uh, including character creation, new subclass options, an introduction to the history, geography, and culture of the land, an overview of the major cities, including Calumport, the City of Glory, a collection of adventure seeds that can be sh sewn together into a level 1 to 20 campaign called The Tale of the Twisted Rune, as well as new magic items, new monsters, new NPCs, and much, much more. Uh, I don't know how M.T. Black does it. I don't either. But he just creates and creates and creates, and everything he does is really good. It, uh, it's a really, what a beautiful beautiful book i'm looking at it right here i've got it yeah and it is i mean super useful gorgeous the layout which i guess stacy allen worked on uh and just it's an incredible and this is eight dollars right wow yeah i mean think back to the days when when the splat books were coming out first and second edition wise and now we have people you know, obviously, MT is in the industry now, but when when he started, just putting things up on the DMs Guild, and how far we've come. Uh, so, you know, if you like Callum Shan, the, the Forgotten Realms, or just good products, uh, give this a 
check on the DMs Guild. Yeah. There is a link to this one and all the other ones in, in our show notes. Uh, the second thing that came out very recently and is sitting at number one on the chart, not surprisingly, is the Blood Hunter class for D&D 5e from Matt Mercer. It is 12 pages of this class, a full uh, class of the martial variety, uh, 12 pages for $8. So at the launch of the DMs Guild, uh, Matt Mercer put up, for pay what you want, this Blood Hunter class. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that it being him and it being a pay-what-you-want product probably has more downloads than any product in the history of the DMs Guild, probably by orders of magnitude. <laughs> uh, so what this new version is is a cleaned-up version that has more art, more layout, and more development done from Matt. And a more so, fair price. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so what you get with this? Not only a new version of the Bloodhunter class for Five E, it comes with four subclasses: Order of the Ghost Slayer, Order of the Profane Soul, Order of the Mutant, and Order of the Lycan. So, you know, Matt being Matt, this is going to get a lot of attention. Um, with the new uh, Wild Mount book coming out, this will also get some more attention. So it's it's good to see uh, this out there now for actual money, um, and and it'll be interesting to see the the feedback on it. I'm not going to get into a step by step look at the mechanics of it, uh, but just wanted to let people know if you don't normally go on the DMs Guild, uh, this might be a good reason to if you're a Critical Role fan. Yeah, and that looks great. Last, oh yeah, and last but not least. An Eberron book that caught my eye is called Archetypes of Eberron, 31 Subclasses by Will uh, Brolet, Imogene Gingell, and Laura Hirschbrunner. At 53 pages, this is fourteen ninety-five, and it includes at least two new subclasses for every class uh, and three subclasses for the new Artificer class, the Crystal Shaper, the Disruptor, and the War Weaver plus seven new artificer artificer infusions. Uh, this is what I love. This product specifically is what I love about the DMs Guild, right? Before, we'd get a new setting from Wizards, and everyone would wait and wait and hope that maybe they put out a new supplement to uh, back the, the setting. We don't have to wait anymore. We have all of these people out there with not just great design skills, but great editing and layout skills and graphic design skills to create something that not only looks good, but is more likely than not very useful for you as the DM in your campaign. Um, Wizards isn't under the obligation to lose money putting out something that maybe only a small fraction of their audience wants. Now, a small fraction of several million people is still good, but it's not necessarily good enough to not lose money on a product. Right. Now we have people and we have a site that we can use to do this. So I love that uh, there are now options for DMs and players to use things like this at their discretion. Yeah, that's really amazing. Uh, it's it, Like you said, it's the best of the DM skill is, is this kind of collaborative uh, work that we see, the support that wizards could not do or should not do being done by other groups that are happy to do it and can make some money doing it. And then also 
you know, on, on the Matt Mercer Blood Hunter class, he that thing is already adamantine and right. it's for charity. Yeah, um, you know, exactly. you've done charity products in the past, other folks have, the DMs Guild regularly does that as well for good causes. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's another great thing about the DMs Guild that they can uh, help, you know, help with with this with our industry through this vehicle. Right. Yeah. I mean, Matt's not going to wouldn't have made a heck of a lot of money just on this compared to, you know, what he's doing through Critical Role and through his other things. So, you know, it's just a great you know, him being the generous person he is. It's a great vehicle to give people what they want. Plus, you know, help help out a charity. Yeah. So those are the three products that we wanted to highlight this time. Uh, next time, we'll look at something completely different. And now on to our main topic, organized play and D&D. Since Teos is here, I wanted to delve into his expertise on, on this topic. And so to, to get started, I wanted to give kind of a brief history of what organized play means to D&D. Uh, and I will just lay out some things and Teos, feel free to jump in when you have something, you know, intelligent to say as opposed to my blathering. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh -oh, yep. So, although I wasn't around during uh, and, and playing D&D during this early part of organized play, the, the first kind of official tournament organized play events were done as competitive events that use pre-generated characters. So you would go to play, you would sit down, you would be handed a pre-generated character, and you would play through an event. Your team would get a score, and if you won, you would move on to the next round. Uh, there were also events where rather than the whole team advancing, a single player from the table would advance to the next round based on votes from everyone at the table. But still, it was sort of in the same mode of this one shot at a large convention, go play, and then when you're done, you get up and walk away. And can I add that one of the fun yeah. things is that this was, in the early days, there weren't that many adventures. And mm -hmm. this was actually where adventures were written. So a lot of the classic adventures, uh, whether it's the Slavers series or it's uh, the Giants series, you know, any of these old... Uh, the Drow series, all of those began as tournament adventures and later got written up and published. Yep, that's very true. Uh, yeah, as, as Teo said, many, 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 if not most of those old classic adventures, Tomb of Horrors and, you know, that that whole string of them, all of them began as these, the, these tournaments. I remember reading them as a kid uh, and wondering, why are there why are there these characters in there? You know, I'm playing my own character. Why Why are they doing this? And just never even bothered to consider why. Or, or they would have tournament rules that would say, like, yeah. you know, you, you had to play under sort of special ways to, to be a particular challenge. And you're like, well, what, is that? what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so there were – it was a lot of fun for a lot of people uh, who would attend some of the, the larger conventions, uh, Gen Con, Origins, Winter Fantasy – you know, those sorts of events. And everybody was fine with that. However, a new concept evolved at the end of first edition called the living city. 
Now, what this did was kind of bring an MMO feel to the tabletop game, where you would come in with your own character. And after you played, you didn't just walk away. You gained uh, levels, experience points, resources, treasure. And you could go to a different table with that same character. And as long as it, as it was part of this living city campaign, you could play anywhere with any DM and any other players. And this was sort of a whole new revolution of gameplay, making it possible to play an actual campaign, but on this much larger scale. Yeah, and that was really an incredible change because you had... You, you left the, the realm of uh, an adventure showing up at a convention or at your local store instead into a linked series of events where each adventure was a part of an ongoing story. And it, doesn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily have to be linked uh, in terms of one after the other, like a book, but it, but it could be almost like, a, like an episodic TV series, right? Where one time you're exploring this corner of the realm and then in another place, and then you might see a connection and go, oh, wow. And it gave you this sense of the world being, and it still does, gives you a sense of the world being enormous and more real. And you can also drop in and out whenever you want, which is cool. Yep. So Living City sort of revolutionized uh, convention play and this this organized campaign play to the point where no one even wanted to play in the, those older tournaments or those older classic events because while they were fun – they didn't have this feel of of a living world around you and you couldn't continue to play that character over and over and over again uh, so with the success of that living city uh, it went on through the, uh, the end of first and and all the way through second edition D&D and at the start of, of third edition it was decided that uh a new living campaign was in order. And that's when they started living Greyhawk. Now there were other smaller campaigns around either smaller geographically or smaller in terms of the player base. Uh, but not being able to publish content because this was back in the AD and D days was a hindrance to distribution. Everything had to go through wizard or uh, through TSR at the time, uh, whether it be through them directly or through, uh, a magazine like Polyhedron, which the RPGA published. Um, now, Living Greyhawk kind of changed that dramatically. Uh, it was not only um, as large as Living City, if not much larger. Um, it introduced new ways to play and consume the media. Uh, it's where I got my start. And I think Corteos uh, started volunteering as well. Uh, so this, I I played through first edition and through second edition uh, in a normal kind of home group, home campaign. Never really went to conventions, never really uh, did anything other than the group. So living Greyhawk really changed my life. <laughs> Not not to overstate it, but it did, uh, because it, it changed the way I viewed D&D. &D. It, it, it changed the way I viewed, or not viewed, but even understood the business side of things. Um, 
and it put me in touch with a network of people where I finally realized just how monstrous, large, and um, life-changing this game could be. Yeah, I, don't, I think a lot of people feel that way. And it really did have that capacity because of the way it was set up with triads uh, that managed regions. So triad was a group of three administrators for each region. The world of Greyhawk was split into these regions, which mapped to real world sets of states and even countries. Uh, and so if you lived in a particular part of the U.S. or you lived in the Netherlands or you lived in Australia, that all those were different regions. And mm -hmm. the triads would work with all these local volunteers and they forever needed more and more people to help. So it was this amazing thing where you could be at a convention and start meeting these people who are making the adventures you're playing or reading and running. And then they'd say, well, why don't you help me? And you're like, wow, suddenly you're, you're working with your mentors, you're learning from them and you're contributing. Um, so I went from just playing adventures to running the organization of the archers in a region and then another organization and then writing for an interactive at a con and then on and on. It was very easy to learn and to, to get your feet wet. Yep. So that was for most of third edition. Well, for all of third edition, Living Greyhawk was the large campaign. Um, there were smaller campaigns that did other things, um, both within the Wizards of the Coast umbrella and the RPGA umbrella and outside. Uh, but then through 4th edition... Now, can I, can uh, I, Sean, can yeah. I just say, you know, because you, you mentioned do. Ashes of Athos earlier, and one of the things we did when we did Ashes of Athos was look to the model of campaigns, like some of the ones that you were involved in, like uh, Living... Uh, what was the Eberron one? Um, Zendrick Expeditions. Zendrick Expeditions, uh, yeah. where you created factions, basically. Mm -hmm. And some of those campaigns back then, even if there were smaller campaigns, really created neat innovations that went on to, to impact uh, future yep. campaigns. Yep. And uh, with each successive edition that's come out, there has been either one large or uh, one large and several smaller uh iterations of organized play to try to get uh try to try to meet goals and, that, and that's what we're going to talk about next right because we can go through the history of it but what we really want to talk about is what what dnd &D gets and what dnd &D players can get out of these campaigns um so it may seem obvious to some but i'm surprised at how many times people don't consider the fact that Organized play generally, as an entity in and of itself, has goals, right? The form of the campaign will follow the function that's laid out for it. Um, so in order to create something useful, you need uh, to know how and why it is going to be used the way it is. Like if you're creating something, you don't just start. You say, what are the end goals for this thing I'm doing? Because that's going to inform how I create it. Uh, so over the years, the different organized play programs have had different goals. And those goals have either correctly uh, led to success or so, and sometimes led to failures, either in the short term or the long term, of what they were trying to do uh, 
for 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 a number of reasons, and we'll probably get into a few of those. Uh, so, what are the goals of organized play in general? Uh, the first one, the one that's most obvious, is the, to give players of D and D the means to play the game. Um, what do you need to play D and D? You need a DM. You need other players, presumably, a location to play, the content that you're going to play. Sometimes that comes from the DM, sometimes not. Uh, and stable rules to help the game run uh, smoothly, since you are moving beyond just one table to a larger um, to a larger entity, if you will. Uh, what are some other goals of organized play that you've come up uh, with or seen over the years, Deus? So a, a big one is around community, um, whether it's online, whether it is at the store level, which I've seen uh, at conventions, right? And, and if you frequent any of these, it's amazing how deep it can run. Um, a group will, will form at a store uh, as they, from week to week, play at the same table, and then they'll start a home campaign together. Mm -hmm. Or you go to a convention and you realize all the DMs know each other mm -hmm. and they're introducing, you know, there'll be a new DM and they're introducing each other and telling stories like they're old, you know, battle tales, right? Like mm -hmm. it really is great at creating community. Yeah. I always like to point to Buffalo, New York as a great example of this, because at the end of fourth edition uh, and during D&D Next, I was searching for any store that was running any of this content, whether it be the Encounters uh, campaign or, or anything, and there was none. I, I couldn't even volunteer to to come to their store. They had they wanted nothing to do with it. And through the work of amazing volunteers up in Buffalo, you go on to the, uh, their Facebook page for the Adventures League, and every night they're running so at a store somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so you're talking about, you know, many organizers and dozens of DMs and hundreds of players all in that area who may not have otherwise found a game yeah. uh, be because of because of that. Also, so the community is huge. I think it creates a way to find players that is a bit more stable. So when, when I was first when I first moved to the United States and I would try to find a game. You would go to the gaming store and there would be like a pegboard and you'd put your name up there with your phone number or you would write down the details from someone else's post and you'd call and you, you know, inevitably, at least my luck was I would find really terrible home campaigns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and you, you'd have, but you'd have to try that out for a while and you had no idea what kind of home rules were being run or what kind of players or is the DM going to hand you, you know, the 400 page book of their world. Uh, all those kinds of things you could go through, and it would be quite disastrous. Plus, you had to kind of go to people's houses, which can be a bit weird sometimes. Mm -hmm. Here, you have a much more stable rule set because everybody has to agree and play by common rules. Um, players have usually been involved for a while, so that it kind of weeds out problem players. If you come into a place like a store or a convention, it tends to be a group of established players that help shepherd that action and make it more stable. Right. And, and if there are those players that may um, not be a joy to play with, you usually find that out fairly quickly yeah. from other people around you. True. Uh, 
one of the goals that I have seen, not for every campaign, but for some, are an on-ramp or an avenue for new players to find a game. Um, again, a, a laudable goal, not necessarily needed um, for every iteration of D&D, but something that's useful. And another goal is organized play as a marketing tool to advertise the game. Uh, you know, just a way to make it a known thing. Yeah. And Can you think of any others or want to comment on any of those, Davis? The marketing aspect can be really huge. Um, there have been years when organized play was really organized around either the storyline that was taking place, and this happened in 4th edition as well. You'd have things like the Drow Arc um, or the Sundering. Um, or now you'd, you have each of the storyline releases, and, and that marketing aspect can be really huge. And even just to have a foothold in so many stores and conventions is a form of marketing that there's, there's this kind of positive presence that mm -hmm. is felt at the store because of the community it's creating and drawing there. Yep. So... Just if you've never been to an organized play adventures league kind of uh, an event, we wanted to talk for just a second about what you might find or what you might feel if you go to one of these. Um, Teos, this was your uh, this was yours. So I'm going to let you take it. Sure. So just yeah, if you are curious what what it's like uh, in general, you are going to encounter two-hour and four-hour four adventures. Four hours is sort of the more typical uh, play period. And uh, many of the two hours have ways that you can expand them and make them longer. But that's usually the time investment you're looking at for most adventures. Uh, there are some adventures, usually the very first one in a season will have uh, one-hour adventures. Those are great for things like conventions where you can just drop in, play a quick hour, see what it feels like. And then you can usually play again because the same adventure will have a number of these. To play through you've written a number of them they're awesome um also great as products you can get on the dms guild and run super fast games at home which is great um so usually what what adventures league is trying to do is they are creating a season that maps to the the storyline that's in place so if there's two move annihilation as the main release then there is a Tomb of Annihilation set of adventures, usually 12 or so adventures, that Adventures League is releasing. Um, so that's neat because if you're aware of all the marketing that Wizards is doing, you're like, oh, great, you know, Descent into Avernus, uh, Devils, I want to get more of that. Uh, I don't have a group to run the hardback with, but I can go to my local gaming store or the nearby convention, and I can play some Descent-themed adventures. Mm -hmm. um, then conventions can create, there's a program under which they can create adventures as well. Usually they create a trilogy of them and release them. And so it'll be a, a set of three adventures, each usually four hours that you can play. And they tend to be in one area of the Forgotten Realms, uh, the Moon Sea. But then you also have Baldman Games has special permission to Moonshade Isles. Uh, mm -hmm. And then um, the uh, there's the other convention that has... Uh, What's it called? The Bandit, not Bandit Kingdom. The, bo the, the Border Kingdom. Border Kingdom. Uh, yeah, Game Hole Con yeah. has so, has the Border Kingdom adventures. Axe Camera yep. works on those. Yep. Um, and then you also see from time to time these secondary campaigns. So you, 
and Will Doyle, James Intercasso working on the Eberron adventures. Uh, so that's a series of adventures that can provide you a, a deep cut or fairly deep cut into one setting, in this case, Eberron, which is really neat. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, you know, if you are just totally new to organized play, uh, you want to look for an event that runs tier one, which is level one to four adventures. So, and then you can go online and download from the DMs Guild the Adventurer's League pack, which has all the rules that you need to create a character, uh, to uh, you know, to level that character as you, as you as you play, and you know learn all of that stuff. If you're a person that can learn th by reading, having one of those, uh, getting that pack and reading over that that content is all you need. If if you prefer to have it taught to you, you can go to say uh, Facebook or go to Meetup.com and just do a search for Adventures League, and you you see it every day. People come on and say, "Hey, I live in blank. I'm looking for an Adventures League game," and within minutes, you will have several people telling you, "Oh yes, go to this convention or go to this game store on this night." Or, hey, we run something at the library on Wednesday nights. Come join us. It just, the the support floods, floods out. Uh, so if you do that, you just show up at one of these events, and generally people are very, very helpful. I will give one caveat. Everyone's different. Uh, I You do hear stories of, oh, yeah, I went to this game store and the people there were terrible and they weren't following the rules and they weren't helpful. That happens. It even happens sometimes good people have bad days. Uh, don't give up right away. Give it another shot, either at a different place or at the same place with but with different people. And, and don't give up right away because if, if I had walked away the very first time I went to an organized play uh, experience, it was terrible. Um, I didn't even get to play because they just kept shoving me off into the corner uh, and saying, go play with Call of Cthulhu with these people. And I'm like, but I want to play Living City. And they're like, well, we're all high level and you, you're new, so go go over there. And it wasn't even nicely. It was just kind of like, go away, kid. You're bothering me. Um, but... You know, and then I, I got back into it, and it was great. If you are a person who is a do-it-yourselfer, you do not need to go to a game store. You do not need to go to a convention. You can just go online, download an adventure, and play with your friends. Um, it's All the rules still apply. It still works as an organized play. And then you can learn that way. And then if you wish to, branch out and start you know, going other places and, and playing with new people. Yeah, it, it really is uh, um, an amazing way that you can become part of something larger. And I've done it in various ways at, at different times over the years. So when I first started up, I was traveling a lot for work. So when I was trying to do home campaigns with people, I inevitably had to leave, be gone for a week. I would miss all the action. And I missed enough that I just would end up quitting the campaign and saying, all right, you know, I just can't like go on without me. 
And then I heard about this organized play thing with Living Greyhawk. And when I started reading up about it, it was like, oh, I can, whenever I can, show up, play an adventure, you know, adventure 1-1. And then months could go by and I can find a group and play adventure Mm 1-2. It was like playing in a home campaign where I could put the pause button on at any time and then Mm -hmm. resume and my character leveled and progressed and all of that. And yeah, it might be different people, but that was also neat because I was suddenly meeting all of these people in the community. Yeah, very similar story here. I live in a small town. There weren't any. There wasn't anyone who was playing D anD. d It was my wife and I, and and that was it. We living Greyhawk uh, came up. We saw it, and I happened to reach out to someone who said they were interested, and it was someone I knew from college. Uh, he brought a couple friends to our house. We played our very first event. I DM'd it. We played. It was lots of fun. Uh, within six months, I was going to conventions with these people, playing with them after I had DM'd for them. Uh, and we met more and more people in the area, and soon it was a network of people. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it was just that, that first step is always hard. Yeah. But it's generally worth it. And, and I've done that, too, where I've started up play in an area that didn't have it or kind of like the first story you told where everybody had sort of played everything. The established players were done uh, with the content that was available. So I had to start a new group and it can take some time, but I've, I've several times been in a town for a project for a year. And after a couple of months of getting things going, you have this amazing community uh, that is, that is there and not only there for you, but after you leave, if you leave, it continues like it has this energy that keeps growing and building uh, aside from the, the contribution you initially put into it. Excellent. So the last topic we want to talk about is getting involved in organized play. Uh, how and the why, right? Why bother? How should I do it? Well, why? Presumably you love D&D if you're listening to this show. Um, and if you want to wring every drop of joy and knowledge out of the game, uh, playing with many different people, many different play styles can be very important. Uh, you can learn new things. I know a person who is a, you know, an excellent player, very creative, writes content. Uh, his home game, he didn't know that if you match the AC, you hit. Their group was playing, you had to go one above the AC to hit. So that's... You know, that's something that you just, if you only play with your group, you never realize these things. There's so much to be learned by playing with other people, not just rules, but just everything that that goes into the game. Um, For for people that want to create content or DM or, you know, uh, get a better knowledge of the in-depth rules of, of things... Uh, it's invaluable to to meet new people, and this is the one of the best ways to do so. Uh, what do you think, there, Teos? You have anything? Well, to add? yeah. I mean, for me, I am eternally thankful to all the tables that I've been able to see in sort of two modes as an author. One is when I'm just I pick someone's adventure, you know, whatever adventure I've volunteered to run at a convention, and I run it say four times. And each table is a little different, but I get to see what 
parts really resonate with groups? Or if I put a little bit of a spin on an encounter, how does it then engage players better? And then next time I'm writing, I'm borrowing from that knowledge, right? And I'm putting that in, into work. Um, the, the other one is that when you create your own material and it's at a convention, if you have that happen and you can see how table after table experiences something you actually built, you learn a lot from that, right? What to do better <laughs> next time. And so that is just, I mean, I'm eternally thankful for all the lessons that organized play has given to me as a writer. Mm -hmm. uh, so how would you suggest someone going about to be a volunteer? Uh, so I would go to where the games are, whether it's a convention or a store, and I would reach out to people who are organizing it, who have usually been down the volunteer path as well, and say, hey, I want to be involved. How can I help? And they will almost always be super uh, willing to help out because you're helping them as well. And so it's a great way to, to just reach out. Mm -hmm. uh if you are interested, there are ways for you to create content, even if you aren't writing specifically for the campaign. There are something called CCC Adventures, convention-created content, where conventions are sometimes looking for people to write. And with the new Pip Yaps Guide to All of the Nine Hells, there is an even more robust, I guess, or... Uh, wide way for you to create content that you can then deliver to the players. So go to the DMs Guild, download all of the Adventurers League pack and give it a, give it a read. You can go to dndadventurersleague.org. That's D-N-D, adventurersleague.org, uh, and follow what's going on there. If you're on Twitter and Facebook, um, there is a main... Adventures League Facebook group where all of this is discussed. Um, and just keep an open mind and be willing and able to take advantage of any opportunities that may come your way. Uh, that, that's the best I can say. Yeah, and we should say that the, the packet that's available with the rules and guidelines for players and DMs uh, that's on the DMs Guild is, is free. So... There's no cost, and they update the same package every time a new season comes out. So once you get it once, they'll you know you'll get a notification when it's been updated, which is nice. Yep, and hopefully soon, if you are interested in the uh, Eberron Oracle of War campaign, um, which is under the Adventures League umbrella, we will be putting out something called the Salvagers Guide to the Mornland which will give you as the DM the ability to create content that your players can play uh, right at your table. You don't need to get it approved. You don't need to, to go through any hoops. You just follow the rules that are in the guide and you are ready to go. And so you could do that for your home group. You could take that to stores. You could take that to local conventions and game days and play, you know, have people play it. So we're really looking for, people to create content and get out and DM it and and start spreading their their creativity around and giving more play opportunities and better play opportunities to as many people as possible. Anything else, Mr. Abadia? 
I, I think that's it. I, I am a huge fan of organized play, as you are, uh, and thankful to everybody who's involved in it. The, the admins work hard. Wizards works hard. Uh, well, maybe one last thing I'd say is that we've talked about D&D organized play, but there are organized play efforts for all kinds of RPGs, and those prog- programs are worth uh, checking out as well. Absolutely. If, if you like any game you know, out there, that is of a reasonable size, there is probably an organized play campaign or structure uh, that supports it. So usually it's talked about right on the main website of the company. Uh, I, I'm fairly sure Call of Cthulhu has one. Probably. Uh, and uh, obviously Pathfinder and, and you know any, any of those games do. So no matter what uh, game scratches your itch, there is probably an organized play campaign or structure out there for you thank you teos for coming on to the show it's my pleasure thanks for having me on no problem and thank you our listeners for listening i'm going to do a few patreon shout outs we have craig just craig eileen barnes richard wyatt jared rasher jim likes games andrew dacey eric bontz todd crapper schmitty and kevin lovecraft If you would like to support the show, there are so many things you could do to help. You can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash MMP. This helps uh, pay costs for uh, hosting, editing, etc. We'd appreciate that. If you can't help us with money, please just leave a review on whatever medium you listen to the podcast on. That helps us so much. Or just on social media or as you're walking down the street scream out hey i love down with dnd uh, i would so much appreciate that um, you can follow me on twitter at sean merwin or go to the misdirected marks forums where you can talk to us or any of the hosts of any of the shows uh, you can also follow the misdirected mark channel twitter at misdirected mark down with D is a misdirected mark production the media arm of encoded designs Hey, Teos, where can people follow you on the Internet? You can follow me at alphastream.org or on Twitter at alphastream. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do now, Teos? I'm going to go kill some organized play monsters. Yay. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.